My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Hilder. Hey listeners, welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Jason P. Woodbury, and today I'm joined by Max Turnbull of Badge Epic Ensemble. Last year, BEE released two great projects, the remix album Clouds of Joy, Chance of Rain, a collaboration with producer Lamping and rappers Boldy James, Theo3, and others, and uh, the original record Clouds of Joy, which landed on the Aquarium Drunkard Year in Review Best of list. A stirring blend of jazz, choral music, prog, funk, R&B, and indie rock. It's a layered and dynamic creation. Here's a taste of the title track, Clouds of Joy. When I interviewed Max for Aquarium Drunkard back in 2021, he said, I like the idea of music as a communicator for philosophic or spiritually inclined ideas. I knew then that we needed to have a catch up proper here on the pod and this conversation does not disappoint. We talk about Max's work with his wife, Meg Remy of US Girls, his lifelong hip hop influence and the myriad and mysterious ways music connects to listeners. One note, we did speak before rapper Boldy James's January car accident in Detroit, which is why we don't remark on it in this discussion when we're talking about his contributions to that remix album. Uh, thankfully, Boldy James is on the mend and we send him healing and love. This was a great discussion, but before we roll tape here, at Aquarium Drunkard, we believe that music impacts and shapes our consciousness and that a healthy music media ecosystem should have lots of kinds of music publications, not just ones chasing clicks and covering the same new releases as everybody else before moving on, churning through the endless burn of content. If you agree, you can support what we're doing at Aquarium Drunkard. We're creating an online music magazine, podcasts, radio shows, mixtapes, record releases, our great TV-style program, picture show, so much more. And if you dig that, and if it makes your listening life better, you can help us keep doing it by heading over to our Patreon. You'll get access to cool stuff, but more than that, you'll be able to just support this thing that hopefully you're able to uh, return to a couple times a week for something fascinating and great to check out and listen to. All right, here's Max, Badge Epic Ensemble. This is Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thanks so much for listening. Let's do it. Max, thanks so much for hanging out with us here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. It's a pleasure to have you. 
pleasure to uh, to be on the podcast, and uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, congrats on all of the great recent work. Uh, we at Aquarium Drunkard we really loved Clouds of Joy, and uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun to spend more time with it, getting ready for this one. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, I made the record a while back. It feels like, and it's been uh, an eventful phase of my life, sort of like in the interim as well. So, um, yeah, it feels like it's distant in some ways, but I kind of always try to keep myself busy and, and keep things moving creatively. But are you somebody who just, I mean, are you just, do you record kind of like in perpetual motion? How does that, how does the process work for you in that regard? I just seem to, um, have a compulsion to make stuff um, that I think serves a couple different masters, um, like emotionally. Um, sure. And I'm also like just a fan of. I feel. I feel like I kind of grew up in a household with um, a meaning structure based on like media, like records and books and films and this kind of thing. So yeah, I think part where my compulsion comes from, and I just seem to have a few different pots on the on the stovetop at any one given point. So. Well, I just it feels it appears as though I'm very prolific, but really I just like I'm simmering many multiple things at once, and so I kind of are sequenced out and uh, in whatever order I finish them. Well, ju- just earlier today, I got an email about a new U.S. Girl song, and it was like that's that's the whole other thing, right? Is that you're involved in a lot of different projects, so the simmering yeah. pots are probably all under different banners and stuff too. Yeah, for sure. Um, it took me a while to figure out that I'm like more of a producer than I am anything else. So earlier, earlier in my career, most of the work kind of came out under one name and now I sort of just, I'm spreading things out and uh, just trying to make good work really, regardless of how people encounter it. Yeah. Obviously, you know, touring is like a, a, is a weird thing and live performance, but in the, you know, you obviously live performance has been a big part of your, your work as well. Have you, have you returned much to performing live? I haven't. I've, I've played one ensemble show since uh, pandemic, and um, I've played a couple badge epic duo shows. So I kind of got hip to the notion that um, an eight-piece band with four-piece auxiliary choir at times is like not really a financially feasible uh, <laughs> thing to yeah. road show. So I sort of began the process of, well, maybe I could present some of these ideas as a duo and eventually I'd like to have, get to having a, a quartet perhaps. Um, but yeah, I've kind of been fortunate that I'm involved with something that has done a lot of traveling. That's the U S girls group. And I've kind of got, I've had like the ability to get some of my yeah, yeah's out and like find out about what that lifestyle is, is about through that and sort of return to the badge world with like a bit of wisdom Yeah, and perhaps not the, there's less of a necessity for that component. Although I think the band is, is pretty great live. Um, I, I personally, I, I, I conceive of the project as sort of a production thing first and, uh, sure. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I gave chance of rain a spin as well. You're the collaboration with lamping, uh, yeah. and on a production front like that, I mean, that's like kind of a perfect example, right? Cause it's like the stuff is, it was it was cool to hear it. It was it was it was a really interesting listen. And I I mean, I wonder if you could tell me. I mean, as a, as somebody who from that the producer thing you're talking about, 
is that informed sort of by hip hop as like kind of a lifelong listening part, a, a lifelong part of your listening life? Yeah, if not lifelong, and certainly since I think like fourteen or something, I kind of got sure. When Mad Villainy came out, they were on the cover of like my local alternative weekly, and um, that kind of was what turned me out into to really appreciating rap and hip hop. And I think that's been sort of the through line in a lot of my different projects. You know, I put, made a lot of records as Slim Twig, and the first of those were like purely just gripping dollar bin records and finding little loops and, and making right beats on like a little boss um, sampler. And I, I really think of the badges in some ways as sort of a return to that ethos, although it's like not always involving uh, sampling records. And if it is, it's sort of sampling our own records now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've sort of, I occupy a space in the group of badge epic ensemble i sort of conceive it as the wu-tang model of like yeah i'm rhythm and it's my job to cast all of these wonderfully charismatic instrumentalists in roles that really suit them and allow them to kind of be themselves so i just sort of allow things to to happen in the context of, of who i have attached to any given yeah. project um so yeah i and of course like the materially like a lot of the, the influence and stuff has come from that same well of um of music that rap samplers uh, or um producers uh have been drawing from for you know almost 30 years at this point like jazz and funk and soul and and in sort of latter day like i i really feel when i look at more contemporary music producers like someone like the alchemist is someone i really relate to yeah as far being interested in, in, in Prague and library and soul and funk and sort of drawing a through line through his personality with his personality through all these different kind of modes. Yeah. I saw that the, 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 one of the records the alchemist produced in 2022 was on your, your favorites list for, I think maybe I read that over at Brooklyn vegan, your favorites of, of last year. Uh, and I saw something they were, they were on that as was that Charles Stepney record step on step. Amazing. that's one of my that's absolutely one of my favorite records of the last couple of years really uh i listened to that just pretty yeah. compulsively yeah that record's wild you know i think with the sort of reissue culture thing that's been bubbling for the last 10 15 years it's we kind of have like this shadow music economy where like discoveries that were recorded almost in a time capsule capacity are now like new music, you know? So right, right. that Stephanie record or like the Marcos Resende and Index record that came out. Yeah. Like the record that was pitched to CTI, they didn't want to release it at the time. Right. Comes out in 2020 or whatever. And it's like a masterpiece of, of Brazilian funk. So I don't know. I think with, with, with the, I think internet culture is obviously charged that sort of reissue market. And, um, for people who are really interested in the kind of like human feeling music like music that's capturing yeah. the spirit of a group of people um because a lot of contemporary music is less oriented around that uh, and capturing that i feel like there's a weird shadow economy of like digging new stuff that was recorded in that kind of uh heyday. so the stephanie is you know similar to that not a group of, of people but like obviously that record captures something very soulful yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. More than any of the like signifying qualities of funk or 
or soul or library, any of these things, like that's what I'm interested in is trying to capture the spirit of this group of musicians whom I've done like a number of, of sessions with at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously that comes through in the sound of the group, in the way you're balancing. I mean, a lot of, the, the there's a lot of interesting balance happening. I, I, I was thinking a lot about how, obviously, Clouds of Joy, there's a lot of, ex, there's an explicit reference to joy as a sort of, you know, a subject matter. Um, no, multiple songs, it runs through song titles, it's obviously in the title of the album. I was yeah. I was going back so I was listening to the record and I was like I was thinking about that concept while I was researching, you know. And yeah. uh, and um and I was feeling there are so many parts of the record where that shines through, right? The sort of like ecstatic ecstatic hopefulness and and optimism and joy that is sometimes graspable through music. But while while I was reading that, I was reading an older interview with you from from paste magazine um by lizzie mano and there's a quote and, and so while i'm feeling this like feeling i'm reading yeah. while the ha- while the habitability of the world disintegrates that's a quote of mine uh, yes it's a quote of yours i sense the spiritual realm calmly persists the world moves through a cycle of apocalypses and it's up to us each to find this movement either meaningful or banal and I was thinking about that while feeling this like intense sense of joy. And then right as that happened, the record shifts into sort of more of a hymnal kind of sacred music space where you're using a lot of stacked vocal harmonies that when listened in a certain way, you can almost hear it as creepy or culty or any of those things. But I think what I like so much about the record is that the kind of joy you're talking about on the record is... is not the kind of joy that evades weirdness or uncomfortable feelings. You know what I mean? It like makes space for that aspect too, which is so I just, I just, I guess really if you could, if you could reflect on that idea that like there's a way of expressing joy, but it requires some skill in terms of like making sure it doesn't get saccharine or, or lost, you know, in, in a, Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think like the title of the album is like trying to express that a little bit. Yeah. I think conventionally joy is sort of um, conveyed or associated more with like sunshine or something. So I was trying to. um, Right. Something that felt that was tempered with um, the gravity of joy. Because I think joy is sort of like at the foundation uh, of what makes us human as far as sensation. It's not something that you can put your hands on, but it's something that feels so distinct um, as to be more real almost than your material surroundings. And I think the overpowering sensation of that is because it is uh, such a dynamic flavor. Like, yes, joy is sort of like apex of your happiness, but it's only made legible through um an awareness of the the darkness you know yeah yeah absolutely author said it but like the back of the mirror is sort of the thing that gives coherence to the front of the mirror the back of the mirror being black you know yeah uh so yeah it personally i you know when i was writing the record my wife was pregnant with with twins and um gave birth to the twins before 
after the record had been written, but before we'd recorded it. And um, I was just really feeling this sort of like fear and, and terror and panic that comes with the fruition of something that's just overwhelming and beautiful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just kind of coming from life experience there a little bit. I mean, I just, I think that's really beautiful because, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I think it gets, I don't know exactly how you would describe your, your, your spiritual life or if, if you have specific terms, do you have like, can you describe your spiritual outlook or is it a thing that's kind of constantly in flux and it's difficult to put your finger on? It's a, it's a struggle for me. Like, I think this is one of the things where I feel that there's a disparity in how the record is perceived with what the intention is a little bit. Maybe this is just me reading into it, which perhaps I shouldn't do, but I've had the impression like that some people have interpreted the record as sort of like this having a knowing quality of like, informing people about a spiritual journey or something when really it's an expression of like a deep curiosity of mine. I don't feel that I have anything figured out. I don't feel that I have any wisdom to bestow on others, but sure. all I know about my creativity is me following that curiosity. And the older I get and the more kind of grounded I am with my creative work, the more I come to realize that that the curiosity that I'm following in my work is an expression of my spiritual identity um so yeah it's I, I i'm not like dogmatic in any sense about that that quest i feel right now like i'm inspired by a lot of like Taoism and Taoist texts and an image from that tradition is sort of like water trying to find its level so that's yeah. what i'm trying to do um as a person like interpersonally with my family and my loved ones and my collaborators and my communities like find where i'm best suited and same goes with with the music like i have certain skills often i'm frustrated by the ones that i have versus the ones i wish i had and (laughs) my music sometimes is sort of like the exploration of that dynamic that set of um curiosities and interests and frustrations and where they interface yeah Um, so that's i guess that's a little flavor of where i'm coming from but uh certainly my work has transitioned i think to having more of a spiritually curious tone than it did certainly even like seven eight years ago when i was still doing some twig and, and other projects like that and and what do you sort of attribute that to is it just more just like you said just becoming more comfortable and more sort of like aware of that spiritual aspect of yourself i don't know if i you know what i mean yeah um almost the opposite in one sense um i think failing just like experiencing what emotionally resonated to me as failure you know like um i pursued the project of slim twig which yeah you know i don't want to assume that anyone knows what that was but it was kind of a songwriting persona um and i think i undertook it like uh with good intention with or with good faith but like it started when i was about 14 or 15 and i had a lot of conceptions about music and art and like the hierarchy of those realms and like where my place was and right was really trying to run that down in a lot of ways into my 20s like so well into well what we mostly conceive of as adulthood and it just every time i was finding like a brick wall was kind of impeding where i thought i should be and it felt to me emotionally like failing yeah uh and i had to reset and so badge kind of was like born from the 
from that realization. And it's interesting because I doing bad just not as though that's been like a straight line where I feel like, ah, success after success, finally. Um, <laughs> I still kind of what feels like failure all the time with that. But I think as I get older, I really appreciate that that sensation, that failure thing is the thing that actually makes me more expansive as a person and as an artist. Sure. So then when, when some, like, how did it feel? I think the last, when we, we've corresponded and did an interview via email a few years back when scroll came out. And I think at the time you were talking about how that felt like it was sort of drawn on material that was the transition between the two projects, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I, I think that resonates a lot with what you were saying earlier about how, how your, your spiritual approach is rooted in curiosity because you're talking, that must have been a deeply curious time, right? Where like you've kind of shed one persona but haven't fully come into the next. Um, yeah. Yeah. What was what was making that record where you were sort of using that again? That was material that was then able to be sort of recontextualized via yeah. a more BBC radiophonic workshop approach than say <laughs> you know like uh, um, sure. Clouds of Joy. But that must have been a trip too to sort of hear these versions of identities in conversation with themselves. Does that resonate? Yeah, for sure. I think. You know, all of all of the records that I've made subsequent to Slim Twig are like community endeavors in one sense. So yeah, I just, I'm speaking only to my perspective, of course, um, as kind of as uh, pulling all those strings together. But from my vantage, Scroll is the most personal record that I've made. I think it really expresses something about how I hear music, um, just in how expansive it is. It's a very long record and it touches on a lot of different styles and kind of curiosities musically um but yeah it, it was made at a time where i was contending with a lot of personal frustration and not knowing where the next move was going to be and i think often that ends up being actually very fertile creative territory um, it's so uncomfortable luckily, but you have to just like kind of push through it and then it ends up revealing what you need the lesson you needed to learn or whatever yeah, so as cliche as it may sound, I eventually kind of came to the realization that like the process is almost the artifact yeah. in some some ways, or the process is sort of like the badge to, to use a <laughs> a pun, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> honor, if you want to, you know, reward yourself for something, it's like think about that continuous labor that hopefully you're taking from initiative and initi- to initiative and endeavor to endeavor through the course of your of your life rather than like ah, i made this album it's a masterpiece it's great it's done let's move on you know um so it's like i think that record is sort of kind of celebrate personal process that's that's cool and i also think it's interesting uh it's something that's come up on the show a few times the relationship between past and future and present in regards to music as a as a kind of a concept right is like so i i really enjoyed that aspect of the record too just kind of like the fun thought experiment of thinking like yeah some of these recordings are from a long time ago mashed up against something that was recorded more recently it's it's cool to collapse time like that in terms of the source material of a record for sure i mean some of that stuff was like material that I had initially earmarked as like another Slim Twig album. Right. And 
some of it was clearly like made in the process of making badge epic ensemble stuff and then in the middle there's like a lot of materials is called from a session i did with the cosmic range which is a group um that i'm a part of um that's less active now but sort of uh helmed by my friend matt doc dunn yeah um he's a little bit older than me and sort of like took me under his wing in the sense of like maybe could sense i was having some frustration in slim twig and was like come play guitar yeah in the thing that's a little more freeform and that was one of the seeds that kind of helped me develop like oh you know i can actually just make music that has a little bit more freedom to it. And it's maybe a little more representative of like where my curiosities and interests are lying. Cause yeah, I think by the slim twig process, I felt that like I had to be lead singing all this material or something, even though I wasn't really listening to that much, um, singer songwriter music at that stage in my life. So sure. anyway, scope like runs the gamut of, you know, as you say, future past and present, which is also the title of a badge. Epic Ensemble collection. So right. I guess I've been thinking about that same concept. It's all it's all in there, and it's and the future part of it is so is so fun for me to to consider because songs come around in weird ways. And as you were talking about reissue culture, I mean the idea of like you know will art will a song eventually find its audience? Um, I think that's such yeah. a compelling thing to like kick around such a compelling idea because i don't know i kind of i guess i do kind of believe it you know but it's not on the timetable of you know like capitalism or commerce sometimes uh, obviously but i do i like that idea you know and it's a way of it's a it's a it's a way of thinking about music that is so far removed from the capitalist thing that it feels refreshing and, and exciting to me you know yeah, I feel like even extending that thought, it's like, it's not even that it's not on the timeline of, of capitalism or whatever. It's just that capitalism is often the mode by which we think we've perceived oh. the audience we found. You know, like yeah. I think, think, think of like, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about uh, the Cramps having had, had a song on this Wednesday. I don't know anything about this TV show, but there's some huge TV show yeah. that some Cramps song was just on. Yeah. And then like, all of a sudden, you know, millions more people. Same thing that happened with the Kate Bush thing on Stranger Things, yeah. right? It's so tempting to be like, aha, finally, the moment arrived where the audience has been unlocked or something. But I think the reality of the situation is, if we can refer to it as such, is more that it's not for the artist to know who or what that audience is. You know, it might be that Clouds of Joy finds its greatest resonance or has already found it with someone in a very private moment. One hundred percent. Caught them on a, a walk at dawn or something, and just like really resonated, and that sensation when, which I've had many times in my life, where you you're listening to music and then you just well up with tears and you don't know why. Uh, like to to me, that's it finding its audience, but I it's unquantifable because people don't write to like write to Maximilian at Gmail to yeah, say hey no. S- no, seriously, I, I while you were saying it, I was thinking, I was like, yeah, Peter Gabriel's song Red Rain could be on the next season of Stranger Things and blow up. And yeah, that'll yeah. be one kind of uh, sort of a success metric. But what about the yeah. time I was on a treadmill listening to it and I just started, er- I just started uncontrollably sobbing? Like, what about that? You know, no one will yeah. never know about that unless, unless we, sh- unless we share yeah. that stuff with us, which is, yeah. which is why I like doing this show. 
Yeah, yeah. What about those ga- gains in the gym when you're on the treadmill and you know that's that's the real resonant moment. No, one hundred percent. It's like a it's it's such an interesting thing that to think about even how how much that metrics of of success failure those feelings we feel is just tied to that stuff and and the spiritual sort of side of music and the spiritual uh element that is present that also speaks i think to those unquantifiable sort of interactions or experiences or or maybe unconfirmable or whatever other word you want to use anecdotal is always the word that gets used you know in so many questions or whatever but it's like what else is there (laughs) yeah i think it's it's difficult to come to terms with the fact that the most, at least for me, the most resonant things in my life are those unquantifiable. Yeah. They're like emotion based or sensation based or like the awareness of a fortuitousness taking place, you know? Sure. Um, sure. And so. in music, that it, it's probably a, a beautiful way to constantly experience that, you know? It's like putting you in, in touch with that flow, I think. It can, you know, I think music can also be a distraction, you know, for someone at the right, at the right or wrong moment, like sure, I'm someone who has music on all the time. Like I'm looking at you with a wall of records behind you. Yeah. And I'm like, that looks very familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, I'm basically just bopping around with my sons all day with records on. And I do, sometimes I'll just catch myself and wonder like, is the music on so that my mind is occupied sure. by that sensory thing? Um, is that my version of like being addicted to a smartphone or something? Cause I think, you know, we know in our culture that we have media of which music is a part. Um, we have constant immediate access to it. And like, wow, that is amazing. You know, obviously I think anyone, if they think about it for a second can perceive its, its drawbacks as well. But, um, yeah, yeah I don't know what. No, I mean I think I think that's that's a that's a great that's a great point and it is it's like the classic twilight zone thing, right? Like the time enough at last the where he has time to read all the books cuz the world has ended and then his his glasses break or whatever. It's like something like yeah. Spotify or 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 just any of it. Just the concept of streaming and us having this endless access to stuff. Of course, it's so easy to understand, wow, what a world of possibility that is. And it's helped with the rediscovering of old works because there's a there's a a way to reach that new audience but like you said the drawbacks are are clear and and it's weird and everybody as we're navigating okay what kind of relationship should i have with my phone what sort of relationship kind of relationship should i have with the internet that's forcing people to ask those same questions about about music and lots of people didn't hang on to physical media. So I think that's, that's, you know, a weird negotiation that people are making right now. Yeah. I've been having this conversation with some friends lately because, you know, obviously in my milieu, it's like not uncommon at all for like records and books and films to be, as I was sort of saying at the beginning of our conversation, like the sort of cornerstones, like yeah. of identity, especially for younger uh, iterations of oneself. Um, and now I feel like we're kind of living through a moment culturally where there's a bit of an extinction happening with film and, and with records, at least, you know, not with like, uh, the moving image and with, with music necessarily, but like the modes in which those things have, have, um, sure. Uh, been, been broadcast essentially or packaged, however you want to put that. Um, 
and yeah, I th- I, it's hard not to feel culturally that that's a shame or something, although perhaps it shouldn't be. I don't know. I'm just struck by like the vastness of, of like a Spotify or something. There's almost something discouraging about it because like your nose is up close to the fact that each kind of contribution to, to the tradition of music is sort of like this little drop in the bucket. And also there's like a little digital meter quantifying how piddly that drop is. You yeah. Know, with, yeah. With that. So I don't know. I, I'm personally trying to just divorce myself a little bit from trying to imagine how the music should be consumed or how it might be encountered and, and just think of it more as an extension of like, of my life circumstance and yeah. giving my coherence and meaning. Yeah. I mean, that's all there is to be done in, in some ways, you know, uh, as an artist. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, in this kitchen, in this situation, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could try to sell out, but I mean, what, what does yeah. that even equal anymore? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if I had been offered the opportunity, I probably would have taken it, whatever that Whatever that even is, yeah, yeah. who knows? Um, yeah, and still, I probably, like, if an advertisement really wanted my song, I think I'd, I would struggle um, materially to say no to that. Well, how could, I, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 you've, you've got a family, you've got responsibilities, yeah. that's a big, you know, it's a yeah. part of it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Increasingly, like I, th- maybe we could just ward off this dark turn in the conversation. But we I can think, <laughs> <laughs> just the way that the industry has trended, even subsequent to the pandemic and stuff, is just so much different from even before then when things felt difficult already. So, of course, of course, warded off. I think I would just say the there's nothing is ever just entirely negative, and I think there's a sort of liberatory aspect to this where, like, I'm feeling even since putting out Clouds of Joy, like. Um, this, I, which is to say distinct from precisely what my mindset was when making that record. Like now I feel more so than ever, just make precisely what I want to make and exactly what my curiosity is leading me to without cutting it with any other substance. Yeah. Because there's no point in doing it otherwise. It's not like if I try to manage the product, um, it has a better chance of going viral, quote unquote. You know what I mean? It's just like sure. And I mean, you you could go down the endless road of trying to figure out exactly what to do, but what you know, it's at what cost? You know, <laughs> it's the yeah. it's the the gain the whole world and lose your soul. Hey Transmissions listeners, are you a musical artist or in a band and you're just not sure how to get started sharing your music with the world? I want to tell you about DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun, and uh, here's the important part, it makes it easy. With unlimited uploads and artists like yourself keeping 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. DistroKid has just launched a new iPhone app, which allows you to upload your tunes, earn royalties, check your streaming stats, and add lyrics, credits, and metadata. Everything you need to do to get your music out there and resonating with listeners around the world. Head over to distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard 
to get started now. Transmissions listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year's membership. That's distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard. Head over to DistroKid and get your sounds shared with your listeners. So it's interesting. I guess I'm just I'm very interested because another time we when, when we spoke when we spoke about uh, scroll, you had mentioned uh, essentially that you you were music helps put you in touch with your own consciousness and maybe the idea that that consciousness is part of the broader uh, whole. And I, yeah. and I wonder if you could if you could talk a, a little bit about that. Um, I remember once asking, this is like a side thing, I guess. I remember once asking Bill Frizzell on this podcast if he believed in telepathy uh, in regards right. to like music or I just said, do you believe in telepathy? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Because there have been moments where I'm thinking yeah. a, a melody. He described a situation and a bandmate finished the phrase vocally you know he had been thinking it he finished the phrase vocally and he was like so yeah i guess i do i just wonder if you could talk a little bit about consciousness and how music relates to your own understanding of it that bill frizzell thing is is fascinating like i I wish i was an accomplished enough improviser to experience it in precisely that capacity but i think i have much more of like a a 21st century version of that, which is just that when I've encountered recorded media, like albums that I was curious to check out, I just find passages that speak to me as though they were me appearing in sound. Yeah. But like, you know, I've probably mentioned this. I think that there's something up on Aquarium Drunkard even of like my saying records I like, but get up with the Miles Davis record. Like when I heard that some of the passages on that, the combination of just like just sort of sublime sensuality that like is sort of associated with like almost like an eroticism yeah mixed with dread like dark dread yeah that combination just spoke to me like that's that that's a concoction from my spirit i've experienced exactly this thing and so like a light bulb goes on and just clicks with me and i've kind of used a lot of that um in in my history working on music is like using that as a guidepost of like, Oh, that did something that really turned on the light bulb for me creatively. And like gave me that sensation of recognition and that sensation, like not just of recognition, but also of um, almost like a deja vu type thing where you're recognizing something for the first time that's always existed Yeah, in you. I try to think of my work as trying to find that through line through previous album works that have kind of evoked those kind of qualities in me and, and uh, using that as a, as a, a stepladder to, to find my own expression of, of a similar mode or similar mood or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's really cool. I, I know that feeling you're talking about with that, with the Miles Davis record. Um, yeah. The, uh, Actually, the the Shuggy Otis song "Inspiration" is it "Inspiration Information" or "Information yeah. Inspiration"? The first, the first, the first. <laughs> it's like one of those songs. I like, you know, I I remember the first time I heard that. I was like, I was driving and I I purchased the Luwaka Bop CD or whatever, and I I just remember yeah. like hearing that and just being like. I don't know if I could even put my feeling on exactly what the emotion was evoked by that guitar part, which you guys kind of quote on the. 
on the right. the title track. Oh, not the title track, but the eponymous track. Uh, Good question. Yeah, I think I, th- I, think, I think title track, like Clouds of Joy, the track itself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yes. Yes. Title track. Um, which you yeah, which you start off by quoting the band name i believe maybe that's why i was mixing it up oh 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 sorry yes no badge epic ensemble that's you're right eponymous track i was just forgetting that there was a song <laughs> called ensemble but regardless i noticed i heard i heard i heard the shuggy kind of like reference and i was like yeah, i remember the, the first time i heard that and it's like it was this feeling of like that thing you were saying of like you gotta all like forward motion or something i remember that feeling of like this is a circular phrase that this is going forever in all directions of time and i'm just hearing it right now and it's this like a really amazing thing so it was really i was psyched to hear that part quoted i think the bet like the best music and that's a subjective qualifier obviously like it discovers something in you yeah sure and i think the only way to do that is sort of like going so deep into your particular microcosm of what you can offer as a musician or producer or whatever right um that kind of a, a macro thing opens up yeah you know yeah but i think if you're aiming at the macro like often it's like the we are the world type thing it ends up as a platitude but if you get so particular and so granular yeah about it it's gonna really appeal to someone in it maybe less people but the people it does appeal to in a much louder way um yeah absolutely i'm trying to encourage myself to just yeah be as freaky as i want to be and it's funny i listen to clouds now and i feel still there's like a little seed in there of like a desire to to please other people a little bit i i love the record and i think it's great and i think we achieved something really special but listening back i still it's still in there so i think it's it's maybe like a lifelong project to finally arrive at that sound that is just free of anyone's uh of any other expectation of how it might strike someone else sure that's interesting too because that's obviously it's not that you're not saying that it would in and and of itself be like kind of like wholly new or contextless you know you're just saying it just would wouldn't have any you know it's it's the second sort of who's going to hear this it that's beside the point kind of yeah i the way I'm sort of thinking of it now is just that I want the music to be an expression of the context of my life. Yeah. And obviously that context includes the wall of records that's upstairs in my living room. Like I can't, sure. can't uh, escape that, nor would I want to. But also that context includes like my emotional life, my, my interest in, in consciousness, like my, my role as a father and a son and all those other things. And yeah, the deeper my music goes, I think, Hopefully, it's there's a light being cast through the prism of influence, but the light that's coming through is more of those things that are particular to my yeah. conscious experience or something. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 fascinating. There's, uh, I know that you, um, I've read that that early on, in addition to like Wu Tang, you were really into uh, Suicide, the band Suicide. Yeah, yeah. Which for sure. which which record was it? I mean, was it the mostly the first one, or were you sort of into a lot more of the discography? Well, I got into the discography after seeing the first one. Like, I had a subscription to Spin Magazine as like a thirteen year old, um, and there was like a Thurston Moore's favorite records or whatever, and that was kind of like maybe the wiggiest one. 
And I was just a very curious listener. So like Sonic Youth, Jump Frog from there to Suicide and something just immediately, yeah, that recognition thing of like, how did they know? They knew something about me or I'm discovering something about myself through the encounter with the music. Something probably terrifying if we're talking about that record <laughs> yeah for sure but also thrilling and really confident it's it's such an incredible record i still can't get over it that, that here were these dudes yeah. who were you know older by punk standards you for know sure. just letting it rip that's that's sort of what you're talking about i think right in the in the that's pure them almost a perfect example in the sense of like yes their energy is being cast through the prism of rock and roll, a very established um, signifier that everyone can kind of recognize. Oh, leather jackets, big sunglasses, you know, just like aggressive. Power chords on the organ, yeah. Well, exactly, screaming and getting in people's faces. But it's cast, what the, the actual substance that's cast through that prism is um, their life experience and... Uh, I don't know, something to do with like the, the sort of fear and exhilaration of like New York at that time, which yeah. by things I've, you know, is substantial. It seems, um, yes. So yeah, it's just, it's deeply idiosyncratic, even though you could also by another uh, mode of hearing it be like, ah, oh, they like Elvis. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, these guys like doo-wop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they fucking love doo-wop. They do love doo-wop. I mean, them and the Ramones, all all those bands, it's it's the uh, yeah. girl group and doo-wop. I mean, Suicide, yeah. they, they play like a girl group constantly. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, that's such a cool record. But I mean, that yeah. speaks to that intensity. You're interested because I mean, because there are there are moments of, of great like intensity on on clouds too, where you hear mm -hmm. like the band really just like churning and that kind of roiling yeah. thing. So it's it's cool that was there for you right away. I mean, that sort of interest in, I guess, a kind of ecstatic, yeah. you know. I think, and obviously, you know. Be, being turned on to suicide as a younger person, like a big part of what I recognized was, yeah, that intensity that one can have and just channeling it through not like not having a virtuosity necessarily. So oh, yeah. now at clouds where it's like, I think I can safely say the record is very virtuosic. I didn't play any instruments on it. I just did a lot of the composing and produced it. Um, so I, I find it funny because I'm I, I still relate much more to that sort of Alan Vega Martin Rev thing where where it's concerning like a, t a technical capacity like to me it's like a very funny joke that I'm the quote unquote band leader of like a fusion ensemble or something but you know be by one cast be because that's not that's not your that's not me that's not kind of so, yeah well I'm always sort of like self consciously like centering it around like it's my imagination is is really what I put into this. And like, I really relate to, like, if I have a virtuosity, it's like using my ear and, um, you know, I, I just, that's why I relate to that kind of like more of that hip hop production mindset. Cause that's, that, uh, that is what that is. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great, that's a great way to put it. Who, who are some of your other favorite hip hop producers? Um, the Alchemist, Madlib, um, RZA. Yeah. E Don, Dilla, those are those are like my my chief ones. But did you read that? Did you read that Dilla Time book by Dan Charnas? No, no, I've not read that. 
Yeah, I'd love to read that. High, highly recommend it. Highly recommend yeah. it. Fascinating stuff. And which, again, that's another interesting example because, like, he was a virtuoso of the sampler. Like, he, he was a technically gifted musician who created a certain swing through programming. So, yeah, I don't mean to, like, demean hip-hop producers by casting my lot in with them as being, like... No, 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 tech- but, 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 I know, but I know what you mean. You're talking, you're talking about, yeah, recognizing something kind of inherent in a sound, understanding how to hone in on what you like about it. That's, there's, an instinct, there's an instinctual element to what Dilla did, and that's just... It, nobody else could have created what he created because it was, like you said, so purely him. It just happened to also be, like you said, virtuosic in its... Yeah, expression yes, yes. but that expression yeah that's such a cool way to think about it because the expression doesn't have to be virtuosic to be powerful aka suicide or the ramones or you know any three chord rocker that sometimes is the greatest thing you've ever heard you know so it's like but it can be virtuosic and be great so it's such a cool well also it's like i think like a concept can be virtuosic you know yeah deploying it like I think suicide is like a virtuosic deployment of simplicity and like minimalism just done in such a stark and powerful way that it evokes something huge, which is a characterization that we often attribute like to virtuosity. Yeah. 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 Well, that's so cool. Uh, Back to the, to the hip hop thing a little bit. I wanted to ask how you felt, how you felt first hearing the verses uh, that are featured on Chance of Rain uh, from Boldy James, OC, and is it yeah. Theo 3 or Theo? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Do I pronounce the three? Theo 3 and Roshan. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, that was a cool pairing because, you know, Boldy James is like the, the um, Mikhail, who's in Lamping, who did most of the resampling of the badge material. Um, for any of your listeners, like we kind of put out Clouds of Joy as a standard badge epic ensemble album, then Chance of Rain. Rain spelled R-E-I-G-N, um, was using Clouds of Joy as like the exclusive sample source to make a rap record, basically. Yeah. Um, so initially we were thinking of it as just an instrumental reimagining. And then Mikhail was like, he, he's done some work in that industry. He was like, if I could get some rappers, who would you be into? And as a joke, I said Boldy James, because he's uh, one of my favorite rappers um, working con- uh, contemporaneously. Yeah. And... Um, so yeah, that was just kind of honestly a, a thrill uh, getting the verse back, and it, he's just so writerly. I don't know. I was kind of just amazed at the quality of the verse. It wasn't like it could have easily been a throwaway. Here's this like Canadian indie <laughs> rock band or whatever. Like yeah, no, no kidding. Like, you know, th- there was no incentive necessarily to like give his best material, but. He's obviously an artist who's like working through a process, and I think the the music sparked a particular cast of mind that he wrote with, and it it I think is a really effective um, pairing. So it was just like it was so wonderful for, for me to have a project that I was working on in the gap between clouds being finished and being released because you know that's considerable. Where as an artist, I always kind of struggle with feeling like anxious about how are people going to receive this record, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So instead of kind of feeling that, I was sort of dove head first into working on this other project and it was just so exciting. And then the, the OC verse was, was amazing as, as well. Like I'm a huge fan of his, his work um, from times up on uh, and uh, 
then pairing those, those guys with, with local rappers whom Mikhail of Lamping is, has been affiliated with was uh, really exciting too. So I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was a unique project to me in that I kind of got to exercise some of my fandom as a listener through it. Yeah. Like the, the sort of narcissistic pleasure of being like, and Boldy's rhyming over loops that I had something to do with. It was just very fulfilling. So yeah. yeah. Was it, was it kind of a thing where you just handed it over and said, you guys just take it from here and I'll, I'll pop back in. Or did you have yeah. some executive sort of say, no, it was it was very um, mysterious, you know. Yeah, we were trying to get that boldy, and it was like we think this guy's the manager. It looks like his Instagram <laughs> looks like he's legit. I guess we'll just PayPal this dude <laughs> and hope for the best, you know. Like, yeah, I'm definitely going to claim that I have any clout in the rap realm. It was like approaching that as someone who has engaged with that. Um, that culture uh, as an outsider and as an appreciator of it. I'm not coming from a hip hop community. Uh, I've just, my work has been, that's one of the formations of my work yeah. as a influence. So, yeah. That's killer. Well, dude, it's been really awesome talking. Before we before we go though, I did want to ask you a little bit, uh, one more sort of question, more, I yeah. guess back more on the consciousness side, but um I know that you're a, a fan uh, of Alan Watts, and I wonder if you could reflect on uh, how weird it is to see him blow up in the end. Well, you're not really online. That's another thing, is it? You're not. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> is he blowing up online? He's, or they're like, he's blowing up watching? online. People are watching oh. like him on like Instagram. Um, wow. It's fascinating. It, it makes me wonder if the... Uh, yeah, I kind of forgot. I had listened to Visha's great interview with you where you both go specifically on about your sort of online life and how it you limit it extremely. And, yeah. and I was like, I'm not going to uh I'm not going to bring that up cuz Vish covered it so eloquently and nicely. Hey, hey. And then I uh, hear we are we ended up there anyway. Oh well. Uh, but yeah, no well, Watts is Watts is like kind of blown up, but what does uh, his work mean to you? I just find that his writerly tone, while it does kind of, um, obviously he's a, he's a spiritual writer. Yeah. Uh, it's so friendly. Yeah. I really have the sense every time I crack one of his books that I'm returning to a conversation with someone who has a great deal of compassion for me and wants to see me centered in my life. So I've really employed his books at, uh, where I feel like I've strayed from the path a little bit. and like, what do I do to get back on? I'll read another Alan Watts book and um, I find it really centers me. Yeah. It gets me back thinking more, more clearly. Um, so it's, I mean, I think it's really cool that obviously the internet is going to uh, <clears throat> put a lot of things in front of people that they wouldn't necessarily find on their own. And I think that's a great mode of finding out about Alan Watts. I just perversely, I feel like if it, if it was truly effective, it would almost have the, um, the effect of the effect everybody of getting people. off. Yeah, exactly. Everybody um, deleting their Instagrams. No, I, I, I think, but I guess, you know, it's sort of a, you meet people where they are situation. And for a lot of people, or I don't know how many people, however many people it is, maybe that's exactly what it inspires or it inspires more mindful engagement with these tools. Cause yeah, but I think it's I think his I think it's his friendly tone though that has a lot to do with um, yeah. 
he's he's kind of the ultimate spoonful of sugar guy in in a certain way because his eloquence yeah. allows him to say sometimes pretty heavy and difficult things in a way that I, I personally I I'm with you I receive those in a much more yeah I don't know what it is it's just effective communication I guess yeah I guess like one last point about the internet thing is just like I think he is a sort of apostle of being as undogmatic as possible. That's true. And I think we should approach the internet in that same spirit of like, I think we can plainly see it's very corrosive for much of human social interaction, but let's not throw the whole thing out and let's, let's not be rigid about it. Can something be built off of that formation that reflects the sort of human quality and and, and a spiritual life? And yeah, I won't say that that's impossible. Well, I mean, sure, crazier things have happened, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, let's, just, let's see what happens here. I think we're like, we're certainly on that path, so we're going to find out one way or another. I mean, that's the that's the absolute truth, and we'll see what it is. And the truth is, whatever it is will be weirder than what we imagined, or, you know, that's the human sort of way, I think. Um that's for sure. And yeah, but well, dude, it's been so, I'm so glad that we were able to do this and uh, it's been a real pleasure and getting kind of, kind of far out with you and really enjoying, I really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much for taking this time. Thank you for uh, continuing to cover the work. I really appreciate it. And uh, for having me on the podcast, it's been, it's been real fun chatting with you. Wow. I loved that talk. I hope you do too. There is a lot to chew on. I've been thinking about some of the stuff that Max has said for weeks now. Thanks so much for being a part of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, produce, and host this show. Transmissions is edited and sounds great because of Andrew Horton. Our music this season comes from Frank Mastin, drawn from his incredible discography of library music. You can find more by visiting maston.bandcamp.com. That's M-A-S-T-O-N.bandcamp.com. Our executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his radio show, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU, Channel 35, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, every Wednesday night. The pod drops in the morning, the radio show drops in the evening. That's the way it works. Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Visit the TalkHouse for more great podcasts, interviews, and other fascinating reads. Please like and subscribe to Transmissions wherever you get podcasts so you'll never miss a new episode. And if you want to make your support official, check us out on Patreon. If you need to hear me talk more, um, you can check out our fellow TalkHouse label mates over at dad bod rap pod i appeared on the show last week discussing the 35th anniversary of public enemies it takes a nation of millions to hold us back and also featured in that interview is a revelatory talk with hang shockley of the bomb squad so how about that we'll be back next wednesday with a very special guest mr mac demarco who joins us to discuss hitting the road quitting smoking jazz and lots more He's indie rockers Chet Baker, folks. You heard it here. I hope you will return to check that one out. Until then, be well. This transmission is concluded.